We're in a, a series on the book of Proverbs, and uh, if you want, you can go ahead and turn there. Uh, but there is no particular chapter uh, that we're going to be going through. We're going to be going through a number of them, but here's what I would like to start with, uh, ask, asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to us what we need to hear this morning. So if you'll pray with me. Jesus, we ask in your kind name that you would give us the grace that we need to see clearly your wisdom, to see it as wisdom. And we also ask Jesus for the courage and the faith to trust and believe that it is your wisdom, that it's worth paying attention to and obeying, that it is the right way. Would you help us to be able to look uh, accurately at our own hearts this morning, Jesus? and to see your heart as well. We ask these things in your powerful and precious name. Amen. Uh, well, my name is Trev. I am one of the pastors here. And uh, as I said, we're in a series on Proverbs. And we're talking about uh, the subject. What, what Proverbs really is, is essentially almost like a Twitter account uh, that's very disorganized. Uh, and so it has kind of all these 140 character type sayings all over the place. And we felt it was best approach if we gather the like-minded Proverbs to, to get an accurate picture of what Proverbs is actually trying to say about this particular book. And we're focusing in on the issue of, of bad, bad company this morning. Let me explain that. Or you, you might say bad friendship. Last week, uh, Aaron took on the good company side or the good friendship. Uh, the weird thing about Proverbs is, is friend and neighbor and company and companions often are interchangeable terms, and so at times it's hard to tell. Uh, but that makes sense when you understand that in that culture that wouldn't travel a lot, your neighbors kind of had to be your friends. Uh, today, that's not the case, right? If you don't like your neighbors, you move or you travel or you put up a fence or a privacy screen or something like that. Uh, or you buy a house with the door on the opposite side so you don't actually have to see your neighbor. Uh, but that wasn't the case in this particular time. And so you notice some of the Proverbs do use the word neighbor. Uh, we're talking about the same thing. But we're talking about uh, the company we keep or the friendships and bad friendships. And this is going to be a little weird for us. Because it's the reverse way to learn something. Uh, so my sermon title is How to Be a Bad Friend and How to Have Bad Friends. <laughs> yeah, it's the opposite way. You, you know what I'm trying to do though, right? I, I'm trying to help us understand uh, the negative in order to understand the positive. I really, I don't hope that some of you go out and say, man, I, I'm convicted. I need some more bad friends in my life. That is not the point this morning. The point is actually to hear that if you want to do what we started this series with, which is if you want to fear the Lord, if you want to trust in the Lord more, you have to understand the connection between that and the kind of friends you allow to influence your life. I'm not talking about the kind of people that you would say you're on mission to or you're trying to serve. I wouldn't put that in the category. But friendship, if you, most of the time, it's an elusive term. I, I found it strangely elusive. Like, what is a friend? How do you define this? Um, 
And the dictionary definition that is... Uh, that I found was an intimate and trustworthy companion was the best one. I don't even think that's sufficient, uh, but actually, this morning, even as I was talking to Aaron, he used the word trusted. That, that what we're talking about here in friendship is people that you trust. People that you trust. Safe people that you can trust to influence your life. And so what you're going to find is as you reflect on some of these Proverbs, they're going to do some strange things. They're going to show you, I think, where you've been a bad friend and also kind of explain some of the frustration you probably have in your friendships. So I'm expecting that some of these Proverbs are going to have a lot of head nods because it's like, oh, yeah, I've had one of those. Oh, I have one of those right now. Uh, They're sitting next to me, but I don't want to tell you. I'll just blink twice, right? I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But it is very possible as a Christian to be a bad friend. It's possible. I've had them. My bad, my worst friendships have been Christian friendships. So I I don't want us to just hear this and be pointing fingers outwardly. I want us to say that actually this isn't necessarily a bad thing, a bad experience to have. But it is bad if we do not learn from our experience of having bad friendships and understand how to navigate responses to that. And so I'm going to break it up like this. I'm going to talk about why we have friendship in the first place, how to ruin it, eight ways to ruin a friendship, and then why we actually do need friendship. So first of all, why we have friendship. Well, I'm not sure if you made this connection ever. I don't think I have at times, but there is a deep connection between being made in the image of God and friendship. That there are very famous theologians that have said things like, actually the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, is a form of friendship. It's the first friendship. These three in one, they like each other. They love each other. They support each other. They trust each other. Uh, They serve each other. Uh, This is really where we get this image of friendship. First of all, how you see the father treat the son is actually a form of how you would make a good friend. And it's the purest form of friendship. And so we have to see that this isn't something that's isolated, uh, first of all, from our probably our series that we just finished up with the image of God. But this isn't isolated from the way that he is. The reason why this is of value to us is it's of great value to God, great value to the Trinity. And we see then the second part of this is that we were made for this. We, we found out in COVID some of our real friends, didn't we? Like, like, I've noticed in my life, I find out who my real friends are in the most painful times. That's where I really find out. When I'm suffering the most, when I'm hurting the most, when I'm the most frustrated with life and the deepest pain, I find out very quickly what kind of strength my friendships have. I, I, I've had some pretty painful times in my life, I would say. At least they're painful for me. And I've noticed that I, am give, I, I, I feel s- s- that my friendships are such a gift to me. 
and they, be, they became more valuable. But, but part of the reason why they're valuable to me is I was made for this. I was made for friendship. And if you've had a good friend, you get this. And if you haven't, let me assure you, trust me, it's worth more than anything else in this world. I'm not kidding when I say that. It is good friendships make life worth living. That's what C.S. Lewis actually said about friendship. He, he said, you don't actually need friendships to survive. Uh, not like you would need a husband or a wife in order to have children and family line. Not in that same way, he said, but friendships are what make, uh, friendships are what make survival survivable. Like, friendships are the reason you would survive. Some of us have those experiences. And, and so we are actually incomplete without friendship. There is a very clear passage that most of us relate to marriage, and it's not exclusive to marriage, but it's found in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It is not good for man to be alone. That's not talking purely male. That's talking uh, humanity. It's not good for people to be alone. It's not good. Everything up until that point was perfect, but that's one thing God said, I'm not alone, it's not good for you to be alone. And so I think we need to understand that we need friendship, because there are some here that say, I don't need friends. There will be some here this morning that I don't, need, I don't really need friends. I'm just fine. I'm doing just fine. Uh, you're not. And one way I can tell is that the fact that you don't have friends and you say you're doing just fine is an indication that it's not good. Because what you're actually saying is, God's wrong. It is good for me to be alone. And he actually says the opposite. And so, uh, as we talk about their importance, uh, we need to talk then and move into, how do we ruin our friendships? How do we ruin them? Uh, well, it's a lot easier than you think. Is there anyone who has been part of a ruined friendship or has ruined a friendship? Okay, most of us, okay? Uh, I have been a part of ruining friendships, and unfortunately, I don't think I know enough of the friendships I've ruined. But I have been on the losing end of a few friendships that have been easily the most painful things in my life. Easily. In fact, the closer the friend is, the worse it, worse it hurts. And, and so here is one of the reasons why we've, we, we get pushed back against the idea of friendships is we've been hurt because they have been ruined. That's what we have to admit. We have been, they have been ruined. But uh, this will be our reverse guide, and I'll, I'll just kind of be flipping around in Proverbs. So I want you to listen carefully and perhaps write down the Proverbs. I'll read them out for you. Um, but I, I'm, I'm going to blast through eight different things that I found throughout Proverbs, and some of them overlap a little bit. Uh, but every proverb is chosen to kind of draw something out. So the first, the first thing we see about how to ruin a friendship in Proverbs is that friendships are ruined when correction is resisted. That's the very first thing. We find that in Proverbs 9, 7, and 8, and this is what it says. Or 9-7. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. And he who reproves a wicked man will incur injury. 
1512 says, a, a scoffer does not like to be reproved. He will not go to the wise. So 1512 and 97. I picked these two, and there are a few others that would say a similar thing, is that there's two images here, and this is how Proverbs work. Proverbs are poetry. You have to remember that, just an, an, an FYI. Um, there's, there's usually two lines in a proverb, most basic proverbs, and they really follow this kind of format. Uh, line one, if line one is A and line two is B, uh, the format is A does not equal B, A is less than B, or A is greater than B. That's kind of how they, they, they try to unpack these poetry. And so the first line will have a statement, and then the second line will be like, this is more powerful. Uh, and, and then you'll have, choose this one over this one. And then you have, this one is not like this one. And so you have to remember that as we, we listen to these. And so in these, uh, you, you have an A, what's more B. You, you have, uh, if you try to correct an unwise person, they resist it. In fact, they try to, they retaliate. They injure. Have you had that experience? Or you've thought about, oh, should I say something? Should I say something? Oh, man. Their life is going disaster. I should say something. I should say something. I love them. I should say something. You say something and they respond so poorly. You're like, that was a mistake. I'll never do that again. And let me guess. Your friendship took a big hit that day and maybe didn't ever recover. Because that's how it works, isn't it? I can only tell, speak from Guy's experience. But the, the guys who in my life who I've seen try to correct other guys, they try like maybe twice, maybe three times. It's like, hey, hey dude, like you should, really, you, should, you should really pay attention to this. And you get a like, whoa, who are you? It's like, whoa, 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 I'm, I'm not saying anything anymore. <laughs> right? Those are bad friendships. Those are friendships that can't move forward in trust. But let's stop pointing the finger at others. Have you resisted correction? How has that worked out? Uh, probably not good. I had a friend of mine, and this is one of the ways that he became a good friend and he earned my trust. He said to me, uh, I, I actually solicited it. So that's the, the second proverb is that, that he, he will not go to the wise. So you won't seek it out. So there's wisdom in seeking out and there's wisdom in accepting it. And so I, he, he, he didn't say this until I solicited it. I said, hey, is there anything that you see in my life that you think could be corrected? And this guy had the courage to say, I notice that you favor one daughter over the other. That was really easy to hear. <laughs> and I said, I think you're right. Boy, I got to change. I tell you, the trust in that relationship skyrocketed that day. We are still great friends. And I trust him because I was able to watch him love me anyways. He didn't say it until I asked for it. But there was something unique about this that that's the kind of statement that will ruin a bad, that, that will ruin like a weak friendship, hey? Don't you think? When you, when you heard that, were you like, oh, I don't know if I could handle that. 
It's like, yeah. Yeah, this is why it can easily ruin friendships is when we resist it. So here, here would, would be the antithesis a little bit of this is that when you hear correction, even if it's dead wrong, just listen to it. Just consider it. Consider the other end. Consider how hard it is to confront someone that you love. Do you find this easy? I mean, I don't. Do you like confronting people? Some of you actually do, but I don't. I don't enjoy this at all. I have to think about these things for days, and if I get resistance, I'm a flight person. I'm not a fight person. Consider how difficult it is for someone to actually take the time to say something that, you, that they think will help you. And even if they're dead wrong, there's something in there that's often very, very helpful. I tell you, it changed the dynamics of the way I parented to this day. It took him 10 seconds to say. If you want to be a bad friend, resist. If you want to be a good friend, don't resist. Now, you're going to, this isn't the only advice. You're going to have to take in, like, how many times does this come up, which actually Proverbs will approach, and so let's move on. The second thing, uh, the second way to ruin a friendship, and everyone that I've talked to this week, I usually ask them, uh, tell me about a bad friendship you've, you've had. So far, nearly everyone has had one, and one of the primary things they say is this particular principle, which is, if you want to ruin a friendship, consume and don't provide, or take and don't give. Have any of you had a friendship where you feel you give and they, don't give, they take? Any, anyone? Right. How long does that friendship usually last? Yeah, it's, it's short, isn't it? And the more it happens, the less they're friends. This is just the way it works. Proverbs 19.4 and 19.6 says this. Now hang with me here. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. That's 19.4. Then uh, verse 6. 19 verse 6. Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. Now remember, this is, this is written to a young uh, son, and Although this is about wealth, the principle actually draws across. Because when you understand poverty and wealth in this particular time, and I think you can still describe wealth and poverty in, the, in today's language, is the ability to manage my suffering or my need to not have to ask for help. That's what wealth is. Wealth is an increased ability to be independent, to not suffer. And in that sense... Poor people have to ask for help a lot more often, don't they? So this is about when you really need help, uh, wealthy people will have lots of people, or, sorry, wealthy people will have a lot of people around them because they don't need that much help. It's easy to be around them. They don't need to ask for favors. They don't need to ask for money. They don't need to ask for holidays. They don't need to ask for you to move because they can pay for it. Stuff like that. Poor people are like, I don't have any money. I'd love to get somebody move for me, but all I have are friends, so can you come over? Let me say, one of the greatest litmus tests of friendship, isn't it when you ask someone to move or when you get asked to move? <laughs> have you noticed that or is it me? 
It's like, oh, man, I'm busy doing something else really important. And your real friends tend to show up when you move. They don't really give you a hard time because they know how difficult it is to ask. Your good friends, they don't even bat an eye. And when they can't help you, they make sure you know why. This, this is the principle we see, actually, in this whole wealth-poverty thing, is that the, the, the way to ruin a friendship is to continually take, and I think that actually translates through a lot of things. Some of you, you don't really reach out to a particular friend until you need someone to talk to and, and to have you listen. How many of you have a friend who only calls you when they have an issue? And they need you to listen to them. But strangely enough, when you call them, they're always busy. Or they give you the short answer. Or they don't seem to have time. You see, it's, it's, it's funny. It doesn't seem to matter how often friendships communicate. It seems to need to be mutual no matter what. I have friends like that. I don't talk to them for years. Then we pick up, you know, where we left off. But this isn't a friendship where they've been trying for two years to get a hold of me and then finally they happen to. This is, it's mutual. And we can tell. We can tell when it's too much give and not enough take. We can tell when it's too much take and not enough give. And friends, this works both ways. Some of you have friendships like this and you wonder why you're drained you wonder why you're poorly influenced. Probably it's because you've trusted something to a friend who doesn't know how to give but only knows how to take. Or you've seemingly, you're, you're, you're mystified by the fact that you keep repelling people. Well, well, here's a principle that you can examine. Do you tend to take more than you give? It just naturally repels people. You see, part of wisdom is just the observation of life, rightly or wrongly, this is how it works. It's like this is how it works out on the playground, right? You see stuff on the playground, it's like it's not necessarily right, it's not necessarily wrong, it's just how it is. A kid that mouths off enough on the playground, you're not surprised when they get pushed, shoved, punched, rightly or wrongly, it's just how it is. And friends, we, ruin, we can ruin friendships when we don't take into account the give and the take of this. Thirdly, friendships get ruined when we ignore the heart behind the friendship. In 21.10, and th these are positive uh, proverbs, and 22.11, so 21.10, 22.11, says this, The soul of the wicked desires evil, and his neighbor finds mercy in his eyes. 22.11 says, He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. You know, friendships are bad, we have to remember, because the heart is bad. This isn't simply external. And we need to understand that about ourselves and our friendships and in the friendships that the, the, the people that we trust. We have to realize that there's a heart behind the words. In fact, Jesus says this, out of the heart is where your words come from. So if you find yourself really harsh with somebody, you, you shouldn't just lower the volume. You should look in your heart and say, well, why, does it, why do I feel like I need to be so harsh? 
If you use words cuttingly, you shouldn't just say, well, I need to use nicer words. No, actually, you need to look at your heart. So friendships are ruined when we ignore the heart. Fourthly, friendships are ruined when we repeat mistakes. And this works two ways. I've got one proverb for this, 17.9. says, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. This is an A is not equal to B proverb. So the, the, the positive is, if you cover an offense or if you look past offense or you forgive an offense, you're seeking love. But if you repeat a matter, you can separate a close friend. And I would say this is actually two ways. If you keep repeating the same mistake over and pretend, notice I use that air quotes there, pretend to ask for forgiveness, you ruin a friendship over time. But if you repeatedly bring up your friend's mistakes, let me assure you, it doesn't work very well. Some of you know this <laughs> from your experience. Someone keeps bringing up the way that you didn't call them. You're like, okay, enough already. I apologized. It ruins friendships. So how do you do this positively? Actually, 1 Corinthians talks about this. It's really fascinating. Now that I'm kind of studying Proverbs, I see this. 1 Corinthians 13.5 says that love is keeps no record of wrongs. Isn't that fascinating? Because some of us have a checklist. This is how many times I've been wronged. You know, that's actually not the path of love. That's why it's so unwise, is that it's the path opposite of love. It's the path of hate to keep a record of someone's wrongs. Not to challenge wrongs, that's, that's not unloving, but to keep a record and a tally and why do we do this? We always do this to use it, don't we? It's a back pocket thing, right? Yeah, well, if it happens again, phew. I mean, how many arguments have I been in where it's like I bring up, oh, yeah, remember when you... <laughs> yeah, the argument never gets solved, by the way, just an FYI. Trumper Longman says, don't keep bringing up the faults of others if you want a deep relationship with a friend. Yeah, that's, that's excellent wisdom. Fifthly, if you want to ruin a friendship, operate in secret. This is a biggie. Uh, I, I've noticed this. I've raised two girls. Well, I've helped raise two girls. Okay, I've been in the house at the same time <laughs> as two girls being raised. Here's a, here's a big one, and, and I, the, I, I can't say this isn't, isn't not male, but it's really bad female issue, secrets. It, it's really bad. The, the, in our house, that was like, if you told a secret, it was like, stop right now. You don't tell secrets. Not at the table, not on the playground. Because there's something about secrets that's really deadly. Listen to this proverb. Uh, 29.5, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Flattery is actually a form of lying. Did you know that? Why? It's actually saying untrue things to someone's face. <laughs> oh, you look really good today. But here's what Proverbs said is, 
This is a net to the feet. A net is a snare. Do you know what a snare is intended to do? Kill. You don't snare something to love them up. Hey, let's go out and snare gophers so we can pet them. You don't do that. You snare gophers to get rid of them. See, this is the wisdom that Solomon says. You don't think flattery is a big deal. It's a snare. Why is it a snare? Because it's deceptive. And you know what? Deception kills a friendship faster than almost anything else. There are other things that kill friendships, as I've listed. But deception in particular, that's a speed kill. For those of you who have friendships where you have found out that you have been deceived, how long have you said that friendship lasts? It's almost dead in the water right there. This is why Solomon's pleading. See it as a snare. Don't see it as like a character flaw or a oops. It's deadly. It's deadly. Proverbs 16, 28 says, A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. I love this word whisperer. It doesn't mean anything to us until we start kind of getting the image, which is part of the way Proverbs wants to do it. But a whisperer. This is, this is a whisperer. I can't even explain it as much as show it. You look someone in the eye and you're like, to the other person? Do you ever assume it's like, I want to give them a million dollars? <laughs> Only at Christmas time. Usually it's like, what did you say about me? What, 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 what? You see, a whisperer has this not just true things or untrue things. It could be both. But it's the secrecy that's so deadly. It's the secrecy. I've watched groups of three girls almost hurt each other physically by telling secrets to each other. It's the most deadliest thing I think I've watched in the friendships is two girls will get together, tell a secret about the other girl, and it will destroy her. It's not, this is, this is not simple stuff. This is, this is real hurtful stuff. You see, a, a, a secret can really kill a very close friend, someone who has been very close, very trustworthy. And, and, and secrecy doesn't have to do with truth or untruth. And, and I would argue, actually, that's the difference between things like gossip and slander. They're, they're both kind of secretive, but one is true and one is not true. The gossip may be true, it's just... It's not something that you're really involved in. Slander is you're untrue. It's untrue, but, but you say it. In, in both ways, actually, what are you trying to do? Like, I, I kept asking this question. When Proverbs says, like, don't be deceptive, I said, who would be deceptive in a, in a friendship? That doesn't even make sense until I realized that you would use deception in a friendship if you're not satisfied with the reality of that friendship. So it's a distrust in reality. Herman Bovink says it this way. Lying is a love for the opposite of being. I'll translate that for us. You don't like reality? You can control it a bit through slander. You can say something false. You, you don't like the relationship between these two people? You're jealous of it? You know what you can do? You can say slanderous things, and that could possibly split them apart. 
You see, it's, it's using words to control the situation. Now, I don't know if you know this, but God did not create words for them to be tools to hurt people with. Words were created so that we could create things. We've talked about this in previous sermons. To build up. You see, everywhere God speaks a word, he's building something up. He's creating something. He's restoring things. And everywhere you see sin, words are used to tear things down, destroy, get rid of. When we, when we use words to slander, we use them to destroy. Slander is really has a malicious part of it, a secret and a malicious part to it. Gossip could be innocent, but it actually has... It has the ability in some ways to lose trust because it's like, I didn't want you to know about that. That's why you would gossip. You would tell someone that something that others didn't really want you to know. You lose trust. Flattery is telling someone they'd really like to hear, but it's just not true. But all three ways are actually deception and lying. It's a form of lying. So the antithesis of this is be careful. Words are absolutely deadly to friendships. The last one I would say is, uh, I'm going to cut, cut one of these because there's so many good, good ones, but the last way to ruin friendships is to have no friends. I know that sounds weird, but one of the ways that I think we do damage uh, to ourselves is when we think we don't need friends. Uh, this, this proverb here, 11.14 says, Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in abundance of counselors there is safety. Uh, someone who doesn't believe they had friends is actually putting themselves in great danger because no one is there to correct you when things are deadly. You know, our culture is telling us this. It's, it's telling us, you, you sh- don't let anyone tell you who you are. You decide who you are. And then they're saying, go out and build friends who can support you. Do you understand that this, these things are 100% opposed to each other? You cannot have real friends who can't confront you and tell you, you know, you're building your identity out of this, and it's a mistake. You're, you're, you're going to hurt yourself. I think this, there's great wisdom here. And so let's finish this thing off. Why do we need friendship? I hope you've heard even the way we've talked about it. How valuable this is. And perhaps there's maybe a person you need to text or call as a result. But I would say, why do we need it? Number one, if, if I, I'm assuming we want to pursue wisdom. We want to learn how to fear God. We, we, we want to follow Jesus. Because Christian friendship is essentially that. Because friends, number one, we need them because they help us see ourselves clearly. Uh, Bad friends are bad mirrors. Bad marriages are bad mirrors. Bad company are bad mirrors. They are incorrect perceptions of ourselves. John Calvin wrote, uh, he, he started off his institutes by saying, 
our wisdom, insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. He said, you need to know who God is, and you need to know who you are. And without those, you cannot get wisdom. I find that many of the personalities, some, someone else said this about personality tests. Uh, I, I can't remember how many it was. Uh, there was like 100 personality tests. Weren't you just saying that, hon? Um, and some of them are really, really bad, actually. And some that we count on highly are really bad. Do you want to know the fatal flaw in them? They're personality tests that are based exclusively on what you think of you. That's the fatal flaw to some of these. They're like, oh, I'm a, I'm a this, I'm a two, I'm a lion, I'm a donut, I'm a... <laughs> Is it just me or donuts are on my mind? And you know what? I found help in a lot of them, but I did not notice and did not realize that the majority of them do not ask your personal friends the truth about you. And the best ones, the most accurate ones, the ones where you've taken them and you've been like, is someone watching me? Like, this is creepy. They always have input from the outside of trusted friends. Always. You just can't see yourself clearly without friends. And you'll not convince me otherwise, A, because God's on my side of the argument. But that's also been my personal experience. I cannot see myself nearly as clearly as my wife can see me. And there are many times, because she's one of my great friends, and I trust her, that it's like, my goodness, is that, that's really what I'm like? Really? I had the perception I was like this. I'm thankful that I can trust you, that not, you, you won't just say, here's where you're going wrong. You'll say, here's where you're going wrong, and I'd love to be a help to helping you see God in this. Those, those are your best friends. Those are your best friends. The ones who see you clearly and can't wait to help get you to where they know God is, is bringing you. Friends help us find and learn wisdom. As we're talking about this whole process, good luck pursuing wisdom on your own. You can't do it. You just cannot do it. Thursday night, I was uh, in a Bible study in my garage with a bunch of guys in our life group, and the comment was made, you know, I just couldn't see Scripture like this if I didn't have this group of people. And I was like, yeah, you can't. And there were things like, I was like, hey, I've studied this book. I've preached through this book three times. I prepared the day of, and there were things that my trusted friends brought out that I had never seen before, and I couldn't see if I hadn't to let them in to influence. Friends, when you start experiencing good friendships, you never go back. Because we're thirsty for this. We're made for this. But we cannot pursue wisdom without our friends. They are a gift in this process. Uh, C.S. Lewis says this, Christ, who said to his disciples, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, can truly say to every group of Christian friends, you have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. Beautiful. 
The friendship that we're given is not a reward for our discrimination and good taste in finding one another out. It is the instrument by which God reveals to each the beauties of a thousand other men. By friendship, God opens our eyes to them. It is his instrument for creating as well as revealing. I love that. See friendship as a gift, something to treasure, something to work at, something to protect at all costs. And lastly, I will say this. We've ruined our friendship with God. (laughs) The story of the gospel is actually the story of a ruined friendship. Because we were originally created in the garden, perfect, man and woman, for what? Friendship. God didn't need friends. He wanted friends. God didn't need us. He wanted us. God wanted to express to us how he felt. This is why there is no joy in some things until we share it. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed when something great happens to you, what's your first instinct? To keep it to yourself? No, it isn't. If you don't have any friends, you take to social media. Is it any surprise that social media is bombarded with things that really don't matter? Why? Because we don't have friends. We need them to experience joy. We were made for that. God made us for that. And we ruined it. We said, no, no. I want friendship on my terms. But the gospel says, the gospel is the Bible's way of saying the shorthand good news of Jesus Christ That God, instead of distancing himself from us and saying, i got to get rid of this bad company, did the opposite. He sent his best friend, Jesus Christ. God the Father sent his best friend, Jesus Christ, to this earth so he could win us back. So he could win a friendship back with us and offer to us eternal friendship that will never go bad. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. I have called you friends. What does Jesus command? He says, repent and believe. Turn from the friendship that you have with the world. Turn from the definitions of friendship that you get from the world and turn to my definition of friendship. My definition of friendship, God says, is a friendship that will never fail you. My son will never fail you. He will be the best friend you ever had. It will be a friend that is filled with grace and mercy, who is opposite of all the things that Proverbs says is a bad friend. A friendship that never runs out and a friend that will never betray us. How many of you need that? A friend who never betrays you. It's always for you. Never against you. Serves you. Loves you. Even when you don't feel like serving him. Now that's a real friend. Friends, what would stop us from seeking Jesus Christ as our friend and his wisdom that follows that? Friend, what's stopping you this morning from pursuing that friendship? What's stopping you from making that friendship right again? You have all you need. 
you, you simply must repent of your way and believe in the way of Jesus Christ. If you want that, let's, let's bow. And I'll call the team up. Jesus, what a, what a friend we have in Jesus. Never makes a mistake. Never has to apologize. Always gives us grace and mercy. Jesus, show us clearly how deep your friendship could be with us. Help us to value it in a way, Jesus, that then begins to express itself in the way we treat our friends. May we be moved in our hearts by your friendship to be better friends and to make sure that we have the right friends that can help us to seek you. We ask for this knowing you want to give it to us. In your name we pray, amen.